Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of my pillow, here to tell you about my Giza Dream bed sheets. I made sure that they would be everything you'd ever want in a sheet set. I started with the world's finest cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all meet. The long staple cotton makes my Giza Dream sheets ultra soft and durable. They come with extra wide pillowcases to fit over any pillow and extra deep pockets to fit over any mattress. Not only that, they come with my 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. And now you can get the best sheets ever for the best price ever. When you buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheet sets, you'll get another one absolutely free. I personally guarantee that they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Specials for the buy one, get one free offer on Giza Sheets. All you got to do, Renegade Nation, is enter the promo code RENEGADE or call 1-800-889-6817 for these great specials. That's 1-800-889-6817. Use the promo code RENEGADE. Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night, frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries. But I promise, all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, it is almost my favorite holiday, Halloween. So I thought I would do a story about my absolute favorite place in the United States, of course, Savannah, Georgia. So with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours. So choose your poison accordingly. All right, now for the game part. How about every time I say house? That will be a single shot. And every time I say Savannah, that'll be a double shot. And I'll tell you what, if you catch me doing a really bad impersonation of Scarlett O'Hara, let's make that a triple shot. All right, now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma. So grab your very best mint julep, sit down in the veranda, and puddle in the sweet Savannah heat as we dive into today's offering, the countless ghosts of my favorite haunt, haha, <laughs> Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> All right, I promise no more bad puns. You know me better than that. You should know that I never keep my promise. <laughs> During the Revolutionary War, two major battles were fought in Savannah. Both were equally bloody, and the area around what would one day become Madison Square saw heavy casualties. 
It's even rumored that the area was the burial site for the dead soldiers. Except, maybe some of those soldiers weren't quite dead. The wounded and sick were thrown into the pits and buried while still alive. Today, though, Madison Square is pretty peaceful. If it weren't for the statue of William Jasper, one would never even know that a major battle took place there. The students from SCAD hang out around Madison Square, studying and socializing, almost entirely oblivious to the hundreds of bodies buried just below their feet. Well, we can be sure that some of them might know, because if they were ever to visit Madison Square at night, they would surely have had a few encounters. Strange, shadowy specters haunt the town square after dark, and they aren't too subtle about showing themselves either. The most frightening ghost is that of an all-black, shadowy figure who has been spotted darting around the park at an unusually high speed. Nobody has seen it up close. It disappears when approached. Those who've caught a glimpse say the ghost is solid black with no features and resembles the silhouette of a tall man. Other supernatural phenomena reported at the park include disembodied voices and whispers, apparitions watching from nearby houses, cold spots, and lights appearing in the sky. But during the American Revolution, the British invaded and captured the city of Savannah. The Americans, of course, fought back, but they were severely outnumbered and severely outgunned. The South was particularly rebellious, so they held Savannah as a strategy to keep a stronghold in Georgia and appeal to loyalist sentiment. They should have known better. The British also used Savannah as a base to conduct raids along the southern coast. The Americans and French clashed with the British at Madison Square. And just a few years later, the Americans struck back. A joint French-American army attempted to push the British out of Savannah. The battle was particularly bloody, with French and American forces taking heavy losses. The area around present-day Madison Square was where the Americans were holding their ground. They had a pit nearby to bury their dead soldiers. The Revolutionary Army lost over 250 men to the mere 40 lost by the British. And the battle lasted just a few weeks. So the bodies piled up quickly. Wounded and sick soldiers were also thrown into the pit if they were presumed dead or well on their way. There was no time to differentiate in the heat of battle. But in the end, the British won again. The siege was the greatest British victory of the war, in part because of the heavy losses undertaken by the Revolutionary Army, compared to the relatively light casualties on the British side. London celebrated the news, and the city held a short festival when word of the victory arrived. But while the Brits may have won the battle, the Americans won the war. The city of Savannah, along with other occupied territories, was ceded to the newly formed United States upon that victory. 
and Madison Square was built in 1837, along with adjacent Pulaski and Lafayette Squares. It was part of the final waves of squares to be built. This square was named for James Madison, the fourth president of the United States. In the vicinity of Madison Square, one can find the Sorrel Weed House and the Green Meldrum House, both of which are known to be incredibly haunted. In addition, St. John's Episcopal Church is right up against the square as well, and the church uses the Green Meldrum as their parish house. The main campus of SCAD is also on Madison Square, where you'll find students frequently in the area using it as a relaxing green space to study, socialize, and get some exercise. And in the center of the, of the square sits the statue of William Jasper. Jasper is considered a war hero, dying while raising the banner of his regiment. He was mortally wounded while raising the flag and fought back his impending demise until he was able to properly honor his fellow soldiers. American architect William Doyle sculpted the statue to commemorate Jasper in 1888, and Madison Square is often referred to as Jasper Square by the locals. And Madison Square is quaint during the daytime. Like any public park, you'll find picnics, people taking strolls, tourists snapping photos. But at night, the vibe in Madison Square changes dramatically. One begins to have the strange feeling that they're being watched. An unusually cold wind might blow during midsummer at the top of heat. Some have said they've spotted lightning in the sky on a completely clear night. There have even been reports of ghostly apparitions staring from the houses nearby. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill haunts, even in a city like Savannah. It becomes quite obvious that Madison Square has a little bit of extra spook power to it. The most daunting experience in Madison Square are the shadow people. Many simply see them out of the corner of their eye, and they can easily be mistaken for a bird, raccoon, or other creature that might be roaming around late at night. But it soon becomes apparent that these entities follow their victims around the square. There's one in particular that can't get uncomfortably close, though it usually vanishes once it's approached. Like the rest of the shadow people, he's all black and has no distinguishable features and yet he resembles the silhouette of an unusually tall man, though no one could pinpoint who he might be or when he was likely to have been alive. But well-known houses around Savannah, and to a greater extent the South, are named after the first family that ever lived in them, usually a family of prominence. Of course, no episode on Savannah would ever be complete without the most famous house in town. This applies to the Mercer house, but nobody with the name Mercer ever lived in the house. See, the Mercer house was originally built for General Hugh Mercer, but the construction was halted due to the outbreak of the Civil War. General Mercer went to fight for the Confederacy and was briefly imprisoned after being captured, along with other prominent Confederate leaders. Upon his release, he returned to Savannah, but didn't return to the Mercer House. 
General Mercer sold the unfinished structure to John Wilder, who completed the house in 1868. While many of the ghosts in and around Savannah stem from the Civil War era, the spirits at the Mercer house are relative recent arrivals to the city. The murder of Danny Hansford in 1981 shocked the Savannah community, especially since the assailant, James Williams, was, a well, was well known in Savannah for helping to preserve the city's historic district. Williams and Hansford were lovers in a rocky relationship. After an incredibly heated argument, Williams shot Hansford in the study room of the Mercer House, claiming self-defense. Williams was eventually acquitted, though he died in the house just eight months later. The Mercer House has been haunted ever since, with ghost sightings of both Hansford and Williams reported by guests. Hansford is most often seen walking throughout the halls of the house, while Williams is usually seen in the foyer, where his body was found. Some have also reported phantom parties when the house was empty, which are said to be residuals from Williams's extravagant parties. I know this is all starting to sound a little bit familiar to you guys, but we're getting there. The ghost of a young boy who was impaled after falling from the roof is also seen around the house. Because long before Williams moved in, a young boy by the name of Tommy Downs climbed onto the roof of the Mercer house to watch the birds. He lost his step, fell off the side of the roof, and was impaled on the iron gate below. He's often seen standing at the windows of the house, while others have relived the residual scene of his death over and over, as if it was on an infinite loop. In 1969, Tommy Downs wandered into the Mercer house. Like many of the buildings in Savannah's historic district, the house had been abandoned for quite some time. Tommy explored the building, eventually making it up to the roof. He was an avid bird chaser, and he probably climbed onto the roof to catch pigeons. Unfortunately, Tommy slipped and fell from the roof. He was impaled by the spikes on the iron gate surrounding the house, the spikes piercing his head and body. Try as they could, the paramedics couldn't save him. They cut through the spikes in an attempt to free bo Tommy's body from the gate, but he died on the scene. Two of those spikes are still broken to this day. Jimmy Williams bought the house in 1969 and restored it over the course of two years. Williams was one of the city's earliest and most prominent preservationists, having restored over 50 homes around Savannah. After restoring the house, he decided to make it his home. He ran his antique restoration business from a small building right behind the Mercer house. Williams was well known around town and would often throw big parties. The parties at the Mercer's house was like a who's who of Savannah, and some of the city's most prominent people were usually in attendance. It was at one of these parties where Williams met Danny Hansford, and the two began their heated relationship shortly afterward. Danny and Jimmy became lovers, but their relationship was rocky. Danny was a sex worker and had a very dark past. The two often argued, and their relationship came to a crux when the couple got into an especially vicious argument in 1981. 
The glass dome at the top of the spiral staircase in the Mercer house was probably Danny Hansford's last sight. Williams and Hansford had been arguing all day, and after the two separated in an attempt to cool down, Hansford knocked over the 18th century English grandfather clock in the foyer. He then stormed into the study where Williams was reading and pulled a gun on Williams. Hansford pulled the trigger, but the gun jammed. Williams then pulled out his own firearm and shot Hansford, who died on the scene. Williams called the police 30 minutes after the murder, leading the police to believe that Williams tampered with the scene to back up his claim of self-defense. Williams was charged with murder, and his case went to trial four times before he was eventually acquitted in 1989, eight years after being convicted. James Williams died in his home eight months later due to pneumonia and heart failure. The murder was portrayed in John Barrett's 1994 book, You Knew It, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And that book was adapted into a beautiful movie in 1997, directed by Clint Eastwood. James Williams claimed that Danny Hansford's ghost haunted the Mercer house after the murder. Hansford's ghost was reportedly angry, vowing to get revenge. Even more so considering that Williams had been acquitted, leaving nobody responsible for his murder. Williams was so haunted by Hansford's ghost that he reached out to a voodoo practitioner for help, hoping to exorcise the ghost. The exorcism didn't work, as Williams claimed the hauntings continued. Many believe that Danny's spirit was responsible for the death of James Williams. Ironically, Williams' body was found in the foyer near the study where he had shot Hansford to death. Danny Hansford still haunts the Mercer house to this day. Guests say they feel his spirit upon entry, angry at the lack of accountability for his murder. Many also report the feeling of being watched. His apparition usually appears in the study where he died, though he's sometimes seen walking the halls of the house. The sound of phantom footsteps and disembodied voices are associated with his appearance. James Williams haunts the house as well. His apparition is often seen in the foyer or the study where his body was found. Guests also claim to have leftover memories of Williams's wild parties. His Christmas parties were especially wild. Williams threw his last Christmas party in 1989 after his acquittal. Yet a few months after his death, neighbors reported that the parties continued even though the house was empty. They claimed to have heard live music and saw people dancing through the windows but they found the house empty upon taking a closer look. They say that if you pass by the Mercer house during the holidays, you'll catch the residual memories of a legendary Williams Christmas party. And of course, the coast of Tommy Downs is also seen in the Mercer house. Many report seeing a young boy standing on the roof or on the balcony. Many passers-by have also seen him standing at the windows. Tourists who pass by and take photos have caught images of Tommy in the windows or standing near the house. Some even claim to see the memory of Tommy falling from the roof to his death. The scenes of Tommy getting impaled on the spikes of the iron gate plays over and over in their head like a video put on repeat. The Mercer House is now a museum run by Dorothy Kingery, John Williams's sister. 
She's not keen on the hauntings of the Mercer house and supposedly keeps her lips pretty tight about the murder and any alleged ghosts on the property. In fact, she claims to have never seen or experienced any paranormal occurrences in the house. Unsurprisingly, she's not a fan of the book either. And while Mercer House is certainly the most famous haunt in Savannah, it's not the only. And the haunted Sorrel Weed House is located right off of Madison Square as well. Sitting right on Madison Square is one of Savannah's most treasured historic houses. Though the city is abound with haunted houses, the Sorrel Weed House is one of the crowd's favorites. It's made cameos in movies and television from Forrest Gump to the Today Show. The building's claim to fame is its size, architecture, and of course, the hauntings. The house was the residence of the Sorrel family. Francis Sorrel was a wealthy plantation owner, though his life was marred with tragedy and scandal. After the death of his first wife, Francis married his late wife's younger sister, Matilda. She then committed suicide after catching Francis in an affair with Molly, one of his slaves. A few weeks later, Molly was also found dead in an apparent suicide. The ghosts of both Molly and Matilda still haunt the house to this day. Visitors have experienced a dark energy in the house and sometimes feel like they're being choked to death. Others report feeling drowsy upon entering the building. Much of the dark energy comes from the hundreds of dead soldiers who died during the siege of Savannah as the bloodiest battles were fought at nearby Madison Square. Some experts say there may be soldiers still buried underneath the Sorrel Weed House. The Sorrels were among Savannah's most influential families. Francis Sorrel was a West Indian plantation owner who became one of Savannah's wealthiest men. Francis was born in St. Dominigi, which is now known as Haiti. A slave revolt forced his family to flee, and the young Francis was saved by slaves who refused to take the life of a young boy. Ironic. He made a living working the docks at Port-au-Prince, and was eventually transferred by his company to the United States. Despite being saved by slaves, he himself eventually became a slave trader. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Francis and an associate opened up a shipping company in Savannah where they shipped salt, butter, molasses, cotton, and you guessed it, African slaves. The company grew exponentially, making Sorrel a very wealthy man. Moxley Sorrel was Francis's son and fought for the Confederates in the Civil War and rose to the rank of Brigadier General. He fought in the siege of Fort Pulaski, where Union forces overwhelmed the Confederates and took the fort. The Sorrel Weed House is among one of Savannah's most famous buildings, haunted or otherwise. The house itself was built in 1837 by architect Charles Kleski. In the mid-20th century, it became one of the earliest homes to be restored in the city's preservation movement. The historic Savannah Foundation made the Sorrel Weed House their first public exhibit, which they used to showcase their restoration work. It was also one of the first homes to be made into a historic landmark by the state of Georgia. The Sorrel Weed House gained fame after making several appearances in movies and television. The building was featured in the opening scene of Forrest Gump. 
The scene was shot from the roof of the Sorrelweed House and shows Madison Square and the surrounding vicinity. The house has also appeared on the Today Show, as well as several ghost-themed TV shows, including, but not limited to, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, and Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places in America. And why is the Sorrel Weed House so popular with paranormal shows and enthusiasts? Well, because the Sorrel Weed House saw not one, but two suicides. Anyways, we are getting ahead of ourselves, because I'm going to tell you the story. So Francis Sorrel married Lucinda Moxley soon after arriving in the United States. Lucinda was from a very wealthy family who did business with Francis. Lucinda died just a few years after they married. So Francis, the classy man that he is, then married Lucinda's younger sister, Matilda. The two had a pretty happy marriage, but Francis was known for his vices. He began having an affair with one of his slaves named Molly. Francis even gave Molly her own room, just so he could have his affair privately. But it wasn't enough, because Matilda found out about Molly. Distraught and enraged, Matilda committed suicide by jumping off the second floor balcony. She landed headfirst, cracking her skull open on the floor of the concrete courtyard. Molly was so struck by guilt... Being a slave, she would be held liable for both the affair and the subsequent death, and Molly was found hanging by a noose in an apparent suicide. The Sewer Weed House is not only among the most haunted houses in Savannah, it's one of the most well-known haunted houses in the world. The strange haunts and horrifying history have brought quite a bit of attention to this house. As a result, the building has been the subject of several paranormal investigations. And while the Sorrel Weed House looks quaint, it's actually full of strange terrors. The ghosts of Molly and Matilda still haunt the Sorrel Weed House. Visitors have seen dark silhouettes walking through the halls. Some have even captured photos of their spirits. Others claim to have seen the reflection of female apparitions in the mirror without the physical bodies to accompany them. The ghost of Molly is said to haunt the slave quarters. A man once rented the space to use an, as an office and was unaware of the history. He claimed to constantly feel a sense of uneasiness as if he was constantly being watched. Others who've entered the room claim to feel sick or drowsy upon entering the slave quarters. Some even say they feel like they're being strangled by a rope, which could be a residual memory of Molly's death. Some have claimed to hear the sound of a social gathering in the living room of the house. The sounds suddenly stop with when somebody approaches. The source of the sounds has yet to be found, though it's believed that the phantom gathering is a residual from one of the many socials hosted by the building's wealthy occupants. Some say they feel a dark psychic energy upon entering the house. That dark energy is said to stem from the bodies buried at the Siege of Savannah, as a similar aura hangs over Madison Square as well. The dark feeling is often accompanied by the sounds of warfare, which can be heard during especially quiet nights. And we're not finished with Madison Square yet, because the Green Meldrum House sits on Madison Square as well, which happens to, of course, be one of the most haunted areas in Savannah. Now, the Green Meldrum House is notable for its ornate Gothic architecture. It's actually considered one of the best-preserved examples of Gothic Revival archi architecture in the South. 
The house is adorned with oriole windows, a spiral staircase with a skylight directly overhead, and a black walnut wooden floor. Many of the materials used to build the home were imported from England, which accounted for around $40,000, or more than half of the home's total cost. At the time it was built, of course. It's worth a lot more now. Charles Green immigrated to the United States from England in 1833. Still in his early 20s, Green was short on cash and hadn't had much work experience under his belt. But he began working at the docks, learning the ins and outs, gaining work experience on, along the way. Over the course of 20 years, Green started several businesses and came to own multiple vessels. His most lucrative enterprises were selling cotton and shipping. Green married in the 1840s, but his wife died of tuberculosis shortly afterward. Around 1850, he remarried, making Lucinda Ireland Hunton his second wife. And by 1850, Green was a cotton merchant and a ship owner and was wealthy enough to build one of the city's most extravagant homes. He had the Green Meldrum house built in 1850 for his wife, Lucinda. The house became notable for its role in the Civil War because when General Sherman took the city in 1864, he used the Green Meldrum house as his headquarters. Sherman's march to the sea was a military campaign where he and his massive force of Union troops marched from Atlanta to the Georgia coast, taking Confederate posts and freeing slaves along the way. Sherman knew the Green Meldrum house was a famous Savannah landmark, so he captured it and used the building as his base of operations. Being that the house was one of the most prized mansions in Savannah, the Confederates wouldn't dare touch it for fear of causing damage, even if it meant giving up the opportunity to capture General Sherman, just showing just how smart General Sherman was. When Charles Green died in 1881 and was buried in the Laurel Grove Cemetery, he passed the deed down to his son, Edward. A year later, Edward sold the house to Peter Meldrum, a prominent Savannah lawmaker who briefly served as the city's mayor. Then, in 1943, his daughter, Sophie Meldrum, sold the house to the nearby St. John's Episcopal Church. The Green Meldrum House has served as the office for the church ever since. And in 1976, the house was designated a National Historic Landmark by the U.S. Department of the Interior. But the house also has a few ghosts of its own. The spirits in the building seem to be moved by music. Live instruments cause doors to open and close on their own, and strange voices to echo around the house. The ghost of one of Charles Green's slave is said to be behind the haunts. She was known for her affinity for live music and would attend the musical events often held in the house. And the American Revolutionary War saw countless battles, and Savannah certainly wasn't spared from this bloodshed. The siege of Savannah left behind hordes of bodies and angry spirits. The siege of Savannah took place in 1779, one year after British troops captured the city. That joint French-American force attempted to ambush the British and drive them out of Savannah, but they were severely outmanned and outgunned and sustained heavy losses. In just a few weeks, 
The Revolutionary Army lost thousands of men while holding their line of defenses at what would later become Madison Square. The revolutionaries dug trenches to bury their dead, and those bodies piled up quickly. Many of the men thrown in the pits hadn't even died yet. Oftentimes they were just sick or wounded, but the troops couldn't differentiate between dead and live soldiers in the heat of battle, and as a result, many were buried alive in the chaos. Today, the area around Madison Square seems pretty quaint. Still, the thousands of bodies directly below the square say otherwise. Legends say that bodies were found while digging the foundations for nearby buildings, including under the Green Meldrum House. Ghosts and spirits plague Madison Square, and witnesses claim to see strange shadows, lights in the sky, and hear disembodied voices around the immediate area. While nobody knows who the shadow people might be or what they represent, the dark energy of Madison Square can be traced back to the Siege of Savannah for sure. Hundreds of men died, many of which were buried at Madison Square. Living soldiers thrown in the mass grave as well, as the wounded and sick couldn't be differentiated from the dead. So much suffering and death must have created a spiritual vortex, causing all manners of supernatural events to occur. And if you think you can get away from the shadow people by running to one of the nearby houses, well, you'd be right. But that doesn't mean that something else wouldn't get you. Because the buildings nearby, as you hear, are haunted as well. And there's more to the haunting charm of this beautiful city, like the actual hauntings. So beware of that southern belle that takes a seat next to you in the park. For she may not be a bell from this century. And with that, my darlings, we have come to the end of our episode. I thank you for joining me here today, and I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think of today's episode. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you just want to tell me what you think, you're bored and you need somebody to talk to, drop me a line. I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that's all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it, my darlings. Don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.